0: Hello and welcome to New Books and Philosophy, a podcast channel with the New Books Network. I'm Carrie Figdor, Professor of Philosophy at the University of Iowa, and I'm co-host of the channel along with Robert Talese, Sarah Tyson, and Malcolm Keating. Together we bring you conversations with philosophers about their new books in a wide range of areas of contemporary philosophical inquiry. Today's interview is with Torin Alter, Professor of Philosophy at the University of Alabama. His new book, The Matter of Consciousness, From the Knowledge Argument to Russellian Monism, is just out from Oxford University Press. Frank Jackson's knowledge argument introduced the philosophical world to Mary, the brilliant neuroscientist who knows everything there is to know about the physical world while living in a completely black and white environment. But it seems she learns something new when she leaves the room for the first time and sees and smells a red rose. So is physicalism, the claim that everything, including conscious experience, is physical, false? In his new book, Alter argues that the argument itself is sound, comprehensively dealing with all the major types of objections raised against each of the premises. But he also argues to a disjunctive conclusion. Either standard physicalism is false, or his own preference it leads to Rossellian monism, a non-standard physicalist view that posits intrinsic properties that both constitute conscious experience and underlie the basic physical properties. Let's turn to the interview. Hello, Torrin Alter. Welcome to New Books in Philosophy.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, we're going to talk about your new book, The Matter of Consciousness, another, yet another treatment of the knowledge argument. But this, this is a very interesting one that kind of brings a lot together and uh, and also pushes it in a, in a somewhat new direction. Um, so before we get to the book, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, how you became a philosopher and and how the book came about.
1: Oh, okay. Thanks. Um, Well, the story is, is kind of, uh, it's, it's not terribly interesting. I, 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 never heard of philosophy when I was in high school. And when I got to college, I was looking at courses to take. And, uh, one of them was called philosophy and affirmative action, which was, you know, in the news then, and it's in the news again, um, this week. And, and, uh, uh, I didn't notice the philosophy part, but I did notice the affirmative action part. And that sounded interesting to me. And, uh, and sort of, I, I, I really fell in love with the I guess the method, and also I had great teachers. It was taught by a, a lawyer Pat Hennessy and a, and a philosopher Jay Garfield, and I just sort of loved the way that um, Jay, in particular, thinks uh, Pat too, and and uh, I, I just sort of fell in love with the with the method. I guess the idea of applying logical reasoning to interesting hard issues. And, uh, that, that just kind of, that's just kind of stuck. And Jay was really, really supportive. He ended up being my undergraduate advisor. And he, he, I remember when I, when I, um, passed my effectively my undergraduate thesis, he said, you're going to graduate school. And I was like, okay, <laughs> so I, that was it. And that's really, that's really the whole story. Um, Yeah. Uh, oh, and sorry, go ahead.
0: No, yeah, I was going to say your 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 interests have always been, you know, the mind body problem, and yeah.
1: yeah. I guess I got introduced to that while I was an undergraduate. It's sort of uh, from a different perspective, but but I've always been interested in, in that issue. I, I, you know, I've ventured into other areas. I've written on free will and a few other things, but but yeah, I, I've always really liked like that particular problem. It seems sort of abstract enough, but not overly abstract. It was tied to particular kinds of, uh, thought experiments and examples, things I could, um, really sort of wrap my mind around. And, uh, so I've been writing on, on this topic and you know, uh, the, the Mary stuff and, uh, Jackson's knowledge argument for, I guess my whole career. Um, but this particular book, yes, how the book came about. And so, um, I I wasn't sure I was going to actually write a, books, I wrote a bunch of articles. I sort of think in terms of articles, I guess. But uh, in 2009, um, Robert Howell and I wrote this little book called The Dialogue on Consciousness. And it was sort of an intro-y kind of book to the to the issues, focusing largely on the knowledge argument and and the hard problem of consciousness, zombies, that kind of stuff. And, uh, he fairly quickly after that wrote sort of, it was ba- basically a dialogue between it, it, we, so we, Robert and I were, were roommates, as you know, at the, the same NEH seminar that, uh, we, but they were, at, I met you, um, we were in the same, uh, same, uh, little dorm room and we, he's a physicalist, I'm not, and we would argue every night. And then he said after the, after the seminar, Hey, we should, those conversations were great. We should write it up into a dialogue. And so we did. And then, after that, four years after that, it was 2009, 2013, Robert, who writes really quickly, um, wrote sort of his side of the dialogue, a sort of defense of physicalism. And uh, it just took me uh, an extra decade to get my act together. And so that's basically what this is, is sort of my side of that, of, of, of that, that dialogue.
0: Okay, good. Um, and I, I do remember the dialogue. Actually, I've, I've have used it in the past in one of my intro courses. Yeah, yeah, because uh, students like it. You know, it's fun. Um, so, Mary argument. I mean, for a lot of listeners, you know, they will be familiar. But it's you know because the territory has been gone over. You know, so much. It's 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 more important to understand how you understand it, right? Because that's, that's kind of critical. And, and the book itself, this book is, is structured by the steps. You know, first there's, you know, Mary in the black and white room who goes out when she learns something. And there's supposedly, as you structure the book, there's there's an epistemic gap, which leads to a modal gap, which meets, leads to the ontological gap which leads to your, the conclusion, which, you know, in your case is a disjunctive one. It's not the usual, you know, physicalism is false or anything like that. It's like either that or Russellian monism. (laughs) So, um, which is, which is, you know, a kind of a new twist on it. So could you, could you set it up for us as you do in the book?
1: Sure. I should say it's it's really I, I, I'm really largely following David Chalmers and uh, on on this on this stuff. I, I really love the way he he conceives of it. So um I lean on him a lot, and that structure um and structure is really largely largely his. And and uh, um so I don't want to I want to claim originality there, but I do think it's important to to see the I think argument basically uh, works best in that structure. There are other ways to understand it, but um, but I just think I, I want to deal with the most powerful version of the argument, whether it succeeds or fails, and that that seems the most powerful version. So, so yeah, y- y- you got everything right. Uh, the, I think the basic I- idea is this, that physicalism has certain commitments, and one of them uh, I accept, and it's widely, though not universally accepted, is that physicalism... Uh, in particular about consciousness entails a kind of supervenience thesis or necessitation thesis, according to which roughly any minimal duplicate of the actual, any minimal physical duplicate of the actual world is a duplicate period, simpliciter, as Jackson puts it. In other words, imagine a, a world which is identical in every physical respect to this world, same physical laws, same atoms, you know, arrangements of atoms, every, everything's the same physically. And imagine it's got no extra stuff in it, no extra ghosts or anything like that. The, the claim, I think, a commitment of physicalism is that a world which duplicates, which is like that, duplicates the actual world in all physical respects, duplicates the world in, in all mental respects as well, in particular, in all, in all uh, phenomenal or, or respects, that is, everything relating to, um, to experience that that seems to be a, a minimal commitment of physicalism necessary condition if if that's supervenience a thesis fails if that's false then physicalism uh is in trouble at least standard physicalism is in trouble yeah
0: yeah cuz one of the you you do say it's a, it's a standard physicalism so maybe maybe you can explain what this what this standard physicalism would be or, or what what is included in the physical when you in in the supervenience thesis
1: well what you just, just implied is exa- exactly right it depends exactly on how broad we understand the notion of physicality or the or the physical if the physical includes just the kinds of say properties and entities that um, are is usually included in the sort of um, uh, in the ontology of, of physicalism, then it'll include things, basically things that are fully understood by objective science, in particular by physics and chemistry and neuroscience and that sort of thing. So um, it, uh, I'll, I'll get to it a in, in a bit, but, but the basic idea is, think of, think of all the standard physicalist theories, like the identity theory, uh, the physicalist version of functionalism, all, all the sort of standard kind of physicalist Theories that they 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 all say basically uh, the world in particular consciousness consists entirely of those sorts of properties the kinds that are fully under uh, fully described by uh, physics in principle um, that that that's that's the idea and then I I want to I want to leave room for a for a sort of broader notion of of uh, of physicalism but. Um, where the, the notion of the physical can, can be sort of liberalized a bit. But putting that aside, I think the best way to think of it is f- first put that aside and just think of physicalism as it's usually understood. And then the idea is that physicalism entails this supervenience claim about duplication that I was talking about a couple of minutes ago. And the knowledge argument is one of the main challenges to that supervenience claim. So the, the, the opposite of the super, supervenience claim um, that is its denial, uh, is what, you know, following David Chalmers, I, I, I call the modal gap. And, and the, the idea is that, uh, with this modal gap, is, is that um, it's uh, metaphysically possible, it's possible in the broadest sense, that all the physical facts be the same. Um, you, that is, you have a minimal uh, physical duplicate of the actual world, and uh, there be no consciousness, or that the facts about consciousness are different, differently distributed, or, or, in some some way different, so that so consciousness do, uh, doesn't supervene on uh, on the physical. That that's what the argument aims at uh, principally, and and so the so the reasoning goes basically like this: we start with um, a kind of epistemic claim, an epistemic gap, which which has the form in the case of the knowledge argument. I think at least. Uh, well, this is the way Jackson puts it too, um, uh, as a kind of deducibility gap. It's a kind of, you can't get there from here argument. Um, so, uh, we imagine Mary in the black and white room and she gets, she has full knowledge of the kinds of physical, uh, facts and properties and entities that, um, that I was referring to a couple of minutes ago, the sort of standard stock of, of physical phenomena she fully understands because she's super smart and we're imagining this is far in the future where all the all the, the physics has been completed and so forth. And and she gets to read about all that or, or watch black and white uh video lectures. Um, uh Podcasts, I guess, something like that uh, about the you know the complete book of physics, the complete book of chemistry, and so forth. And she fully understands it because that kind of information, uh, you know, you should be able to convey it in black and white. You shouldn't need color diagrams to understand physics. And uh, so she understands all that, but she's uh, she's never experienced color for herself. She leaves the room. She sees some, uh, something red, a red rose or something, and, and she says, okay, now I get it. Uh, I learned something. And so the, the idea is that with that, that kind of thought experiment, that particular thought experiment and variants of it is supposed to show that there are truths about consciousness, phenomenal truths as I following others call them, which cannot be deduced from even the complete physical truth everything and even even uh, the, the ideal, complete physical truth, um, even if you have no limitations on your reasoning ability which Mary is stipulated to, uh, to be like, that's how what, she, what she's like. She, she's a perfect reasoner. Uh, even Mary can't figure out what it's like to see red based on what she learns from those podcasts, those science lectures or science, black and white science books. So that establishes the first step, which is the epistemic gap or the deducibility gap. That's step one. Step two is uh, to move from that to the, the failure of supervenience or the modal gap. And then the idea is that physicalism is... Um, incompatible with that modal gap because it's committed to there being no gap there, um, there being a supervenous claim. So that's the sort of, I, I think that's, that's the, that's the, at least a sort of second pass, um, uh, you know, close to perfect of version of the argument. But as, as you, as you mentioned, uh, th- there is this complication that, well, I'm assuming here that the notion of the physical is a pretty standard notion where, um, uh, it only includes the kinds of familiar uh, physical features um, uh, but uh, you know, that, that are often talked about by uh, physicalists and their opponents. But uh, what I go on to say is that, well, the, the common feature of those properties is that they're all structural. They all have to do with causal space-time structure. And we can imagine a notion of physicality, which is not restricted in that way. So imagine that uh, uh, there are these features of the physical world, which cannot be, which are not structural, and so cannot be learned uh, in the way that Mary learned things while she's still in the black and white room. You do need the color diagrams to understand them. Suppose there are features like that, but they're nevertheless, in some broad sense, physical. Well, in that case, sort of all bets are off, because then, in that case, well, w- what's the intuition about the Mary case? Well, the intuition is that, well, sure, Mary can learn every physical fact. Why is that? Well, because physical facts are objective. Well, why is that? Why are they? Why? 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 Why don't you need color vision to understand physical facts or any physical truth? Well, the, the, on my account, what 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 I argue is that the reason for that is because th- those kinds of, because physical facts, at least as traditionally understood, um, can be expressed in a kind of austere language, just in mathematical language or uh, lo- mathematical logical language. We can add some gnomic language about, you know, about uh, laws, physical, physical laws, causal language, maybe sp- spacial temporal language. But in principle, we should be able to convey all the truths in the final book of physics, uh, the completed th- you know, physical theory, um, using just a limited vocabulary. And that kind of information, information that can be fully expressed and understood uh, using that limited vocabulary, math, logic, nomic terms, uh, that kind of information, you should not need uh, any particular sense ability like color vision or, or vision at all. I mean, you, that kind of information can be conveyed perfectly without remainder in braille. Uh, so, you know, blind people can, can perfectly well understand it in principle. And so the idea is that, okay, that that's, that's plausible for the way physics is now. And I think also for other, uh, sciences, but, uh, you can imagine a view, and we don't even have to imagine, some people embrace this view, on which, no, 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 the notion of physical is not tied to the structural in this way. And so, I, I, so this is all getting around to the idea to start with the first step, the epistemic gap, the deduci- deducibility gap. Well, the claim is that Mary can know, just by watching lectures in black and white, everything physical about color experiences. And that's plausible if everything physical about cl- color experiences is all structural information. But it's not plausible, or at least I, I don't find it plausible, that that's true if the notion of the physical includes non-structural information. And so there's got to be this, I think the, the right way to do this is there's got to be this, this you know, disjunct you got to add. Well, either Mary can learn all physical information from within her black and white room, or there's some non-structural physical information. And I was tempted to put the argument just in in those terms, but there's sort of two reasons why I I referred to Rossellian monism instead. One, so what I do is I I say, well, either she can, you know, either, either she can learn that information from within the room, or Rossellian monism is true. And the reason I put it that way is uh, two. One is that I I do argue, as you uh, alluded to, and it's in the subtitle of the book that um, that if you reject physical, uh, if if you accept the knowledge argument, you can either reject physicalism, or you can accept it, but you have to accept a kind of Brussellian monist version of, of physical. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah.
0: maybe you should say a bit about that. Um yeah. Because
1: well, uh, uh, yeah. yes. 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 For now, I'll just say Brussel. You can. You can. It's a little bit more than this, but but basically, Rossonian monism. It, it, uh, a key feature of Rousselian monism is that it it allows or or it, it posits non-structural information, which is directly relevant to, to consciousness. And so, um, and and so, and more specifically, the idea is that um, in addition to the structural properties that physics uh, describes. Um, There are these non-structural properties, and the idea is that uh, you can't get anything in the world, any concrete entity, including consciousness, um, without both features. Uh, The the idea, as it's sometimes articulated, is that the the non-structural properties, sometimes called quiddities, uh, provide the categorical basis for um, structural properties, which are Dispositional. Um, that, so, is so that that idea, or is it some otherwise put um, the the non-structural properties realize the the sort of um, uh, structure that's that's uh, well expressed by by physical theory? Does
0: does so is these? I mean, what is the non-structural? I mean, other than just a you know, we know not what.
1: Uh, I I like the we know not what f- formulation <laughs> <laughs> at this. I, I, I tend to think this kind of thing is temp. We know we know we for now know not what. I don't see why we can't uh, postulate them. I, I sort of think think of the, the these properties as well. We have good reason to posit them, but but uh, we don't really know what what they're like. Let's 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 play around with some ideas, and um, so I, I think of the the um, they play this sort of role in. Um, uh, in the theory and the idea is that well that they, they presumably have some intrinsic nature and uh, uh, something's got to play that role and uh, it's now left for future you know investigation uh, to figure out what they are of course the, the you know there, there, there is speculation about what what they are uh, um the, the the first thing that that uh, people say in Rossellian monists say um, is is that well they they're, they're, they're they're phenomenal properties. They're they they experiential properties. It's just that they're experiential properties at the kind of micro microphysical level. Um, so that leads very straightforwardly to a kind of uh, Rossellian panpsychism, where consciousness or you know, is everywhere. And you know, I that's a view I, I think that you know shouldn't be dismissed outright. Um, but uh, I. I, I it maybe my that i'm just sort of conservative but i i i find i, I sort of think we should we should try to resist that um, we don't Why? have to Why?
0: i mean i i guess i mean we we could <laughs> there's just so many questions to ask um so i just you know i what well, so what's the difference between i mean one question one one objection or or just is is just that um uh, saying that these are experiential facts or something just seems to be, it just seems to be restating the question. Um, Cause that was the problem to begin with. Um, but also it seems like, well, you could go resilient monism, uh, uh, or you could just, you know, as some people have suggested that, you know, when we know the whole physical, when we, you know, the future physics or future biology or whatever um, uh, will include, you know these properties, or something—the experiential properties, the experience of red that Mary learns, right when she, when she leaves the room. Um, so it, it, all of those, you know. So, so there's that other option of, yeah, it's physicalism, but it's future physicalism that includes these things, um, because if they are physical as the physicalists say, well, then the future physics will include them. Right. I mean, you know, that's the question baking objection, right. Um, but it seems like both Rossellian monism and this, you know, other, you know, objection to the standard, um, you know, construal, uh, they both sort of say, well, we're, you know, we're just going to basically, Beg the question about the whole issue, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're, um, or, or, or we're not going to answer. We're just going to use the same language, and we're just going to pretend we've done something with it, but we actually haven't.
1: Yeah, there are a host of there are a host of issues here. You're you're, you're right uh, about all of them, um, and and you know some have argued. Uh, uh, you know, our, another. Uh, NEH seminar participant, any uh, uh, Amy kind has argued that we monism. Basically it's, it's what I call that, that sort of, um, I call this once the Pete Townsend objection, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Um, it, the, uh, uh, it's, it's done. It's just sort of adding new words for the same, for the same problem. I don't think it's true. I think that, that, that we monism, uh, uh, in an interesting way, sort of reconceptualizes the, the, the landscape and, and, and allows sort of further investigation. It does not itself. Solve the um, hard problem of consciousness. It doesn't tell us whether consciousness is a fundamental feature of reality because we have to decide, you know, what what are those mysterious quiddities? What are the, what are the uh, what are these non-structural properties? And and then we're gonna once again see the issue. But I think reconceptualizing it in, in the Rosalian modest way, um, at least potentially, can can um, can be sort of a, an important step along the way to to solving the the problem. I think you mentioned there in, um, uh, the, this idea that, that um, experiential properties will, will sort of just eventually be incorporated in, in, into physics I think there, there are a number of different ways we can go in there but there, there's one important difference is, in ways is this so on the one hand we can we can understand this claim as saying well yeah you know eventually uh, we'll under will understand um, the physical to to uh, entail the uh, experiential, even even uh, a priori entail. We can once we understand the physical uh, well enough. Future physics will be able to figure out what the what what you know experiential properties or phenomenal properties are like, um, just by deducing them from physical truths. Um, and that's that's one way to go. So in other words, in, on this view, Mary would if she really doesn't have just current physical information but ideal physical information information from the sort of final book of physics then she will be able to do deduction she wouldn't learn anything when she leaves the room that's one way to go but I I, I don't think that works and and this is uh, this is one of the reasons why I think it's important to understand that the the, the um, the notion of uh, of structure in this, how that plays the the role that plays in this discussion, because the, the the problem with the reason why in the first place I think the reason why in the first place uh, we think that uh, Mary can learn all the physical truths from uh, in in her through her black and white lectures, and then she learns something new when she leaves the room and sees color for herself. The reason for that, I think, I think the explanation for that is that physical truths are are all structural. And uh and so the idea if that's right, if it's sort of structural analysis of um, of Mary's epistemic progress when she leaves the room, why she learned something, um, if that explanation is right, then um in the future, uh future physics is just is just gonna give her more of the same kind of information, even though it'll, it'll be no doubt, you know, better, it'll be complete and, you know, won't have anything false. Presumably today, today's physics isn't, isn't perfect in both of those ways. It's not, uh, it's going to contain some false claims and, and, uh, it's certainly incomplete. Uh, ideal physics won't be. Mary will, will, uh, get you know, get a better theory, but, um, but nevertheless, insofar as it's completely structural, nothing has changed. So I think on that way to take the idea um, that physics will eventually, uh, in, you know, encompass all the experiential information that uh, knowledge argument fans like me s- says uh, are missing. Um, that's just not gonna, not going to work. It just doesn't help. There's another way associated with uh, I think probably most famously with with Noam Chomsky, um, but you know many many philosophers as, as, as well. Um, another another idea is is that well you know it's just, this is just uh, a, a phenomenal properties experiential properties just like any other properties of it. and and uh, maybe uh, maybe that'll that'll just be it'll be taken as basic uh, uh, in in eventually in physics. In fact, there's some reason to think that this is true if uh, uh, if you think that consciousness is an irreducible uh, feature of you know, collapsing the wave function something like that. Um, if you have that kind of view, you you might uh, you you might end up just depositing consciousness as just another physical basic basic physical feature along with you know the weak force and gravity and that kind of thing. Um, on that way to go, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think there's a the knowledge argument really has really works against that version of physicalism. But I think there we we lose the distinction between. Uh, physicalism and its uh, its opponents, like like dualism and and idealism, neutral monism. Uh, in that case, that it's tr- it's true that that no, there's a way in which the hard problem goes goes away because we just, w- but there we're just considering consciousness as basic. But I think it's a I think physicalism is a sort of, it's a, a live contender view. And, um, and it's physicalism in the traditional sense, but in, in the traditional sense is, is a live contender view. And I think it's a minimal condition of, of, uh, physicalism that, um, th- there be ultimately nothing is mentally constituted in this irreducible way where it's just a basic positive of reality. That's, I think, a, a, a deep commitment of, of physicalism. We can use the term physicalism in a in a very broad sense, which um, uh, which uh, uh, eschews that commitment. But um, but uh, I think it's a, it's an in- interesting question whether the ver- the traditional version of physicalism, which doesn't eschew it, um, is, is true. And so I'm, I'm. It's not that I have an objection to to that way of going necessarily. Um, uh, well, maybe I do, but, but, uh, but that's not my point here. Uh, my point here is that, uh, the, my worry about that, that kind of route is that it, it, uh, undermines the distinction between physicalism and, uh, non-physicalist theories.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, which, you know, I mean, again, if, if you think that that's right, then, then there isn't a distinction to be drawn, Right.
1: That's right. But I think there is. I mean, I think, I think that, uh, you know,
0: the, the Well, certainly now we think there
1: is. Yes. Right? Yes. Now oh, yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, any of these theories could turn out to be true. I, I think we should have some epistemic humility here. Uh, uh, in fact, I just, you know, um, recently, uh, had the opportunity to read a forthcoming book by, um, by, uh, Josh Weisberg and, uh, you know, I can, went into it, yeah, you know, I'm completely on the side of the anti-physical, physicalist just wrote this, you know, wrote a bunch of papers, this book, but he's an illusionist in the, you know, um, strong sense. Of, you know, the view they used to call limited materialism, the conscience is all a kind of cognitive illusion. Um, he calls himself a weak illusionist, but it's a pretty strong view. You know, this is all this phenom- phenomenality stuff that I, I uh, spend so much time worrying about. It's, it's, it, it's all kind of illusion. And, you know that's i discussed that briefly in the book and you know with what i say in, in connection to some of dirk paraboom's work and what i say about this is you know i it's it sort of as, as its advocates um, uh, admit it's a kind of counterintuitive view but you know we should we, we shouldn't uh, 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 we, we shouldn't uh, dismiss it out of hand just, just for that reason. It just, we n- need a lot of evidence for it. And I, you know, I, I don't find enough evidence and, but Josh, Josh's book actually uh, provides a bunch of evidence for it. And I was hey, like, well, I don't want to be open to this. He, he he's, he's, uh, so my, my point of mentioning that is, is just that I, 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 just, I want to be open minded You know, I don't, I don't want to be un, unreasonable at this. If it, it, it could be that, um, that illusionism is, is true, and uh, and so you know all these all my arguments, well except where I discuss uh, this head on, they all assume that illusionism is false. That is, um, there really is something it's like to to see red, to feel pain, um, something you know in 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 the sense that Mary seems to learn something when she leaves the room, and uh, you know that, that's a that's a claim, I mean, right. False.
0: So let me let me get to you mentioned the you know the supervenience thesis which which plays a um an an equally important role, right? So you've got the fact that she she leaves the room, she she sees a, a you know red rose or whatever, and and you know of course the first you know point of contention is does she learn anything, right? Um and so well let's just you know concede, yeah, something, you know, she learned something new. Let's let's just go there. So okay. Um, but then there's what you, what you, you know, just, you, you described earlier as the supervenience thesis, which is, you know, any duplicate, you know, minimal physical duplicate of our world will be a mental duplicate and, a, and an experiential duplicate as well. Um, uh, so that's the modal gap, um, that these, you know, whatever it's, whatever it is that she learns, uh is not metaphysically necessitated by what she knows before she leaves the room um so can you say a bit about this you know metaphysical necessitation i mean is the is the physicalist uh, um uh committed to that sort of a strong modal uh, view or can they get by with something something less like uh, you know maybe a you know causal necessitation or or you know I mean in other words consistency with you know all known you know space-time laws
1: right um, I, the answer to that I, I think is no at least in the traditional physicalist view because w- once again this 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 is just gonna you know, obliterate distinction between uh, physicalism and 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 uh, and its opponents, uh, you know, the, the the other views. So, for example, Descartes, traditional um, Cartesian dualism, is perfectly compatible with with the with the idea that the that consciousness is uh, causally necessitated by um, by the by the physical world. There's there's, there's no at least there's a, there's a, a possible uh, dualist view, um, which which allows uh, 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 you know causal um, necessitation. Um, so i I think that there is a, a metaphysical uh, commitment to yeah you know. yeah
0: can I can I, that was one of the moves I thought in the book that was a little bit odd because um because notoriously you know Descartes you know did not resolve in fact hated to even face the interaction problem. Um, and so he can claim all he wants that, yeah, you know, yeah, it's causally necessitated or, or one can ascribe to him the view that, yeah, you know, dualism, of course it's compatible. Well, but that's just, you know, empty. <laughs> that's completely empty because yeah he can claim it all he want, but this was a huge problem for him. Right. So, so it's not, so it wasn't clear to me from that argument that, you know, causal necessitation, you know, those, we, you know, some, you know, one day, you know, just as we, you know, sort of were able to synthesize urea and we found, guess what? There's no need for, you know, Elan Vital because we can, we can create, you know, organic material out of inorganic material. Um, I mean, so that's quite the same. I mean, assuming you're not an illusionist, um, Uh, you know, suppose one day we were able to create uh, a system where, you know, guess what? It, you know, it's, it's conscious, you know, I mean, it, uh, it, the, 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 whatever the material might be, assume neurons, um, uh, creates a conscious system and, and we're setting aside all, you know, evidential problems, right? I mean, that's, that's not the issue here. Uh, So if we did that one day, uh, just as we synthesize, you know, we synthesize consciousness just the way we synthesize urea. Um, why would that like not be enough? And it and and I assume the reason it's not enough is because that's only physical necessity. That's not um, metaphysical necessity. But what why should we why do the physicalists need to take that extra step? I mean, I don't see that they do.
1: Right. Um <laughs> Well, first, I, I, I have to, let me uh, shuffle some papers here. Uh, I, I um, <laughs> my notes a hard question. Oh, but you know this. The, what I have actually here, what I just shuffle isn't quite my notes. Is these, these are these are confidential, um, uh, classified SSP <laughs> documents. They're you know the, the Southern Society for the um, uh, psych- for philosophy and Psychology, um, and uh, they're confidential. But but um, you know I could have. Declassified them when I was president of the <laughs> organization four years ago, but I didn't. Did, do you want to see him? <laughs> um, sorry, um, I could. I just couldn't resist. I, I read the newspaper. So, um, so it's uh, a good question. I, I Look, I don't. Want, I don't want to dismiss this, and, and you know, I I, I have a, a chapter in my book and an article too about about these these kinds of issues, and that there are you know important arguments supporting the kind of, um, perspective that, um, that you just nicely articulated. Barbara Montero is a, you know, leading person in that. I, I think her work's terrific on this, but I, I disagree with it. Um, it seems to me that, that this even, so sure. It, in fact, I, think it is extremely you know if we if we don't obliterate ourselves through you know a, a global warming or something I, I I think it's extremely likely that uh, in principle at least we you know yeah, I think in, in practice humans will figure out how to create um, sentient creatures conscious creatures um, uh, I see no reason why why we that shouldn't that, that couldn't happen but I don't see how that will um, in any way uh, th- th- settle the issue of whether physicalism is true or not because there's still going to be a question. Okay, suppose that in fact because of some causal law, anytime you have a certain kind of uh, you know, figu- physical configuration of particles, you're going to have some experience or, or other. Suppose that's true, um, and we somehow, w- you know, we, we, we test the law, and so we, we may not n- know it with certainty, but we have enough uh, evidence that, that there is such a law. There's still going to be a question, okay, um, uh, must any any um, any creature in any, any universe, any possible world um, which, uh, which satisfies the description, which has that, you know, a, a syst- which is a system so configured, must it feel anything? And must it feel exactly what, 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 uh, we feel when, or people in the actual world, or sorry, creatures, systems in the actual world feel when they're structured in that way? And if the, and if the answer is, is no, then I don't see any way to, um, to resist the idea that this, that this law, uh, this causal law is just a contingent feature of the universe and it's, it's not the, the, the experiential features, which although as a matter by that law will be instantiated when, when um, you know, the antecedents of the law is satisfied. Um, although that's true, um, still consciousness is going to be something beyond the, the physical features mentioned in the antecedent of that, you know, sort of conditional law, um, th- that is the the structural features. So then exactly the same questions are going to arise. Well, um, okay, so that, that seems to me that leaves only two options. Either, um, these, uh, e- either these features are I- in addition to something on top of uh, structural features, or there's a kind of... Um, uh, some kind of Rossellian Monist style view is going to be true in which there are these two features, but, but they're really just two aspects of the same system. The, the, the non-structural features of the categorical basis of the dispositional features, which are described in structural language. And, uh, so in other words, I, I, you know, that, that kind of, let's just assume for the sake of argument that, that it's not only possible that we have discovered, uh, um, what kinds of structures give rise to consciousness in fact, totally doesn't settle the issue that that uh, uh, people in this debate are are, are debating. Uh,
0: I suppose, but you know you might you might just push back and say, well, you know, what, what, or let me, let me put it in a, in a, in a better way. Suppose we do synthesize consciousness and it's, you know, it is contingent, you know, everything in the physical world is contingent. Um, we can imagine uh, metaphysical possibilities, which, you know, are, you know, not true of our world or maybe are, maybe are, aren't. Um, so, you know, our imagination, you know, greatly outstrips the physical world. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so if we did, then um, w- what would the knowledge argument, you know, in the end, right, have have what it, what would its what would its value have been if if we accepted that?
1: Um, oh well, I think to, to show to show that a, a certain way of of looking at the concrete world is 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 incomplete. Uh, If you think that uh, structure exhausts reality, then you're wrong. Uh, That's what that's what I think the 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 sort of take-home message is of of the knowledge argument that there's there's more to the to the world than structure. So I think that's still that that that's the actual message. and, And if nothing you describe changes that, that that seems to be the. Uh, the the important take-home message, and then there the, there's a question left over about well, okay, what, how exactly do should we understand the distinction between structure and non-structure, and more particularly, if there are non-structural properties, um, what are they? What you know are are they themselves in you know ineliminatively, um, in, irreducibly, mental features, uh, or not? And I you know I. I give an argument towards the end of the book that, that and I, I say you know, this is, this is sort of an abductive argument. It's, uh, but, but, uh, I think there's, there's at least some reason to, to think, um, you know, ten, somewhat, I'm somewhat tempt, tentative about it. Um, as my stuttering is, you know, indicating that, uh, I, I think the answer is going to be, well, these features, it, it's, uh, these features are not mental. They're, they're proto mental or proto phenomenal as, as, um, David Chalmers, Susan Schneider call them um, uh, proto-phenomenal properties, uh, which, you know, themselves uh, aren't phenomenal properties. They're not experiential, but they together with structural properties, um, you know, figured that in other words, if you configure them in the right way, you, you, you get experience uh, as a result. And that uh, it's in that sense, why we monism, the proto-phenomenal version, I think can be a respectable version of, non-standard physicalism because, uh, because, because there's no, ultimately there's no, nothing is mentally constituted in a kind of ineliminable way on, on, on this view. And that's the view I'm, I'm most drawn to.
0: Right. Okay. Um, cause, uh, well, let me just, just follow up on that. The sort of resilient monism or, i mean it, you know again i mean bef- bef- you know early on um by showing physicalism you know was was false the argument was uh was intended to uh you know in the time that it was first put forward i believe or 82 or something so quite a while ago actually um, but at the at the at the time you know it was it, it was like uh you know, reduction, you know, everything would just be reduced to, um, to the physical. And, um, and so if physicalism was false, then, you know, reduction is true. And and supposedly this was, you know, the end of the world and everything that, that, that Fodor predicted. (laughs) Um, right. Um, uh, so, um, Is dualism, like, out of the picture here? Are you just saying, you know, there's no reason, you know, okay, physicalism is false. Here's another, you know, sort of uh, uh, materialist alternative. Um, What makes that beat out, you know, somebody who's just going to go the traditional route of some sort of of dualism? Like, I mean, because you know some of my my own very young colleagues that's that's their lesson from the knowledge argument
1: right no I, yeah it's a lot of, a lot of people go go that route um i i think i think all these views are still on, on, well, you know, certain views are taken off the table if if the knowledge argument is sound, and I argue that it is. But but you're right that dualism is certainly not not taken off the t- table. Um, there there are problems with dualism, though, of, of the kind you mentioned earlier about about an interaction. And I think the main, uh, I think it's fair to say that the the, the main reason um, why Cartesian dualism, interactionist dualism. Uh, is unpopular today. Uh, well, maybe the main the main reasons sort of social reasons because you know a lot of a lot of famous people rejected it. But but I, if, if there's a reasoned the basis for it, it's 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 the it's the Princess Elizabeth problem, the one she spotted uh, the the causal interaction problem. It looks like, and because the, the, I think that the, the idea there's there's this there is this idea. I have sympathy to this idea that. Um, that okay if if there are these different kinds of properties in the concrete world, structural properties, non-structural properties, phenomenal properties, they should all be causally inter- integrated into one one system. We don't want to have just it just seems seems inelegant to to have uh, all these properties that are completely independent um, uh, sitting around and 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 somehow we have to we hope that there's a kind of Arbitrary causal law that just it's the way that nature happens to work that that connects them. I think a a more at least a a more aesthetically pleasing and you know in the in the um, uh, it's got in in a scientific sense more you know a more uh, more likely to be true view is that is that there's um, all the properties that there are are integrated into the same uh, causal system. Rosalind Mon is and the the argument I give in the end of the book is that well. Uh, one, it, it's more likely that an integrated system is, is true than one which is not integrated. Cartesian, traditional Cartesian dualism, I think, does not have that kind of inter- integration, causal integration between between the, the mental and the physical. And I think that, that that's number one. So it's more likely that an, a, a view which integrates the various kinds of properties um, that we have reason to believe are instantiated in the actual world um, it, uh, is, it's more likely that, the, that a theory that integrates them uh, is true than that a theory that doesn't integrate them is true. That's that's one extra premise in addition to the knowledge argument's conclusion. And the other main ex, uh, extra premise is that any view which does this is a version of Rousselian monism. Now, both of those claims... Uh, both of those claims are, you know, are are controversial, and it's they might both be false. But I think there's good, reasonable enough re- reason to believe them. And if both of those claims are true, then I think we've got pretty good reason to um, to place our bets on on uh, Rosalian mon.
0: Okay, so so then you're you're you you state your you know the conclusion of the argument in terms of a disjunction with two junk, two disjuncts, but. It it seems like it, there should be more disjuncts then, right. Is that
1: correct? Um, well, I'm I'm not quite sure what you mean. You mean the conclusion of the knowledge argument being either physicalism is false or monism is true? Is that, is that is or that
0: or or dualism or one of these other alternatives? Or or you just that that's that you you need. I mean, it's you've you've just said it's still on the table.
1: Therefore, yeah, no, that's yeah. right. The knowledge argument itself is is perfectly consistent with dualism. It does not it does not rule that out. It's also consistent with neutral monism, and it's also consistent with idealism. It only rules out the only view. it stri- I mean, it strictly rules out is a view which says structure is all there is to concrete reality, and physicalism is the only uh, prominent you know main theory. Or at least mainstream physicalism, which has that sort of structuralist component. So idealism doesn't imply that. Neutral monism doesn't imply that. Dualism doesn't doesn't imply that. So so the the, the knowledge argument is perfectly consistent with with all um, with all of those views. Russellian monism specifically rejects structuralism. So it's certain the knowledge argument certainly isn't consist, inconsistent with Russellian monism. So all those options are are, are left open. The reason I, you're you're right. The reason I, I I, I simplify the the conclusion uh, and instead of you know a, a sort of a a bigger disjunction. Well, there're two'm sorry, I was going to say there are two reasons. I only mentioned one of them. One of them is, is this argument that I was just describing, which basically you take the knowledge argument, you add a few uh, assumptions like causal integration is better than is more likely to be true, you know theories which, which uh, imply causal integration are more likely true than, than those that don't. And also the conclusion that only Rouellilian monism um, can, can do that can, can causally integrate all the various properties, the structural and the non-structural and phenomenal. Um, uh, that's one reason, that's sort of theoretical. Reason. The other reason though, is, um, that, uh, uh, Dave Trump, David Chalmers, um, puts it that way. And, uh, I just, my, my views are so close to his that I just didn't see any reason to, to say, well, yeah, my version is different, is, is different. I mean, strictly speaking, I think, I think he too would say, all right, strictly the conclusion should be structural structuralism is false that that that's all there is, is to it and physicalism is a structuralist theory. but um i was basically saying well you know his is close enough that's what everyone discusses i want i always like to connect what i'm saying to what other people are saying so uh, i didn't see any, see any reason to to modify the way he puts it
0: okay fair enough Um, so let me, let me just return to, uh, you know, this, this, this idea of structural versus non-structural, um, vocabulary. Um, so you described earlier the, so it's, it's important. So I just want to kind of go back to that. Um, uh, so the structural properties are ones that are expressible in some sort of limited vocabulary. You mentioned of mathematics, logic, is that? roughly other stuff okay yes um, yes
1: I'm, yes
0: um yeah so uh you know again this kind of goes back to what what she learns when she's in the room uh, and she is the perfect reasoner. Um, we, we, we assume that. Um, but, you know, and I, I believe, you know, maybe Pat Churchland brings us up in, you know, just in terms of neuroscience or something, but, and I, I in a sense, in a sense, I've, I think I've probably asked this question before, but just, um, we, we really can't know what, you know, our completed physics or completed biology, chemistry, et cetera. Um, will be like and that would include our completed mathematics and our completed logic um, and so uh you know I, you know one t- I mean just a s- silly example at at one point you know zero was not was not invented and then it was and then you know the infinites and and um uh you know cantor and set all that kind of stuff you know that that wasn't part of math and now it is right so um, uh, you know, with the, with the, so it's, so in a sense, if, um, we, we, we can't really know what she knows. Um, even if we call it the completed physics, completed math, completed biology and so forth. Um, so we can't tell, we just, you know, we're just, um, you, you—we're completely speculating that what she learns will not be, you know, a, a, a structural properties that we can't imagine right now. That that would, in fact, um, you know, enable her to know these experiential properties when she she leaves the room. Right? And so I'm not sure. So I just, I'm trying to understand the the force of the structural versus non structural distinction if it really depends on us trying to imagine now something that we cannot imagine now.
1: Yeah. No, these are excellent points. And, you know, Churchland and others have, have, have pushed uh, the, this line. I, I think the to my to my mind, the the most detailed uh, and thoroughgoing development of this this kind of um, objection to the knowledge argument is, is in uh, Daniel Stoljar's two thousand six book *Ignorance and Imagination*, where he argues exactly uh, what you what you describe. Um And I so I have a, a fairly long section uh, in, in uh, uh, one of my chapters on 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 his version, along with the uh, uh, the versions um, the more sort of general version defended by by um, Churchland and and some others, uh, it's an it's an important view. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I take it seriously, um, I, and c- certainly it's certain, certainly I agree that we don't right now know what um, the final physical theory will look like, or even that physics can not we can actually complete it. There's there's you know there's a lot of uh, assumptions here I'm making. That's right, but the the, the I guess here though I, I think that. Um, we, we just have to be draw, draw a distinction. Um, if, if we're saying that the final physical theory, what's concluded in physics, um, could be sort of anything, including some some primitive mentality, primitive consciousness, well, I, that you know that brings me back to the point I made earlier. That if if you're if you're opening it up to that, then sure, there's not you know the knowledge argument can't knock that view out. But then again. Uh, but traditional physicalism I think is committed to their um, to, to that not being the case so for example and it's not just anti-physicalists who say this so, so for example listen a in an interesting article um, uh, from I don't know a while ago said um, says like, well, we don't know, we don't know what the final theory is going to look like, but we do know this, it's not going to posit consciousness as basic. That's not going to be, it won't be recognizably physics. So she disagrees with, with Chomsky, for for example, on that. And I think her view is, uh, I think her view is well-grounded in, in the tradition, which, which again, I, I, I think is committed to traditional materialist physical view is saying that ultimately, um, the world is not constituted by mentality. Ultimately it's constituted by something non-mental, namely the f- physical phenomena, which should be understood, um, uh, in a way with, that does not, uh, refer in some, you know, in a limited, I can't say that word, way to, uh, not to consciousness. Um, and so, uh, so if we put aside that kind of view in which consciousness might turn out to be incorporated into physics, um, uh, that is a, in a basic way where it's a, a basic posit, you know, experience is just one feature reality like, like quarks or something. Um, if we put aside that kind of, kind of view, then I think we're left with, with the idea that, well, um, uh, f- physics might discover radically different kinds of structural features but if they're just structural i think the same questions are, are going to arise why can't um why can't if they're purely structural why can't mary learn understand them fully from within the room and you still have the same intuition she leaves the room she's saying okay um now i learned something uh my curiosity is satisfied as philip goff has been recently put it putting it um i, I was curious what it was like to see red now i know after after i've seen red uh, and I didn't know it, even even though I learned about a, a you know a fancy new uh, new kind of structural property that in you know 21st century physics was was, was uh, undreamt of. So you know so either way now I should I should another so that's one distinction. Another point is to say I think none of this I do what I claim do we know with certainty. My, my you know, I claim that hey any structural feature. Is going to give rise to the same same kind of Mary intuition. You're going to have the same problems. There's not going to be any difference. I don't know that with certainty. Uh, It could be that that uh, you know, as as I was saying earlier, Josh Weisberg makes I think a really strong case uh, that that uh, we fully understand even what's known now um, about about cognitive psychology and neuroscience. uh, we, we may lose our, our, our intuition here. or The intuition may be deflated. Um, but the Mary case, I don't, I don't want to rule that possibility out, but I, 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 don't, I don't think in this context, um, we're going for certainty here. We're, we're going for the most plausible theory based on the evidence we have and the most plausible theory based on the evidence that we have right now. And in, in my judgment, um, is, uh, is that, uh, you know, either physicalism is false or uh, a physicalist version of Orsonian monism is is true. Do I know, do I know this with certainty? No. I mean, I, I, I I, I think uh, this is a wide, wide open topic.
0: Yeah. Well, good. Um, Well, that's an excellent place to stop because we are out of time. Um, So quick, quick question. Uh, Very quick. Um, uh, What's on your plate at the moment?
1: Well, uh, a few things, but the main thing is something that we kind of um, uh, discussed in a, in a way. Um, uh, when when we're you're asking a lot about physicalism's commitments and why, for example, I think physicalism is committed to these strong supervenience claims. I think a crucial part of that. I didn't put it this way in in uh, earlier, but I think a crucial. Crucial a uh, part of this is that physicalism, at bottom, most fundamentally, is just a version of monism. There's fundamentally only one kind of thing in the world, and that kind of thing is physical. Just like an idealism, that there's only one kind of thing in the world, and that that thing is uh, mental, um, or neutral monism, that thing is neutral. So I think it's a version of monism, and this it's it's sort of uh, surprising to, to, to I, I when I've been. Defending the supervenience claim against um, Barbara Montero and others, um, uh, I, I found is actually I was at an APA um, uh, now you, last year, I think, or the one, one before, um, and I was defending the supervenience claim, and 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 uh, and a certain certain point, I, I found myself um, uh, through the work of Robert Howell uh, appealing to this fact. That physicalism is a version of monism, and uh, I thought this was sort of a small point. But I'm, I'm not saying this very well. But the idea is that I sort of looked at all these papers in a, about on um, physicalism and anti-physicalist arguments, and monism is very rarely mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Jessica Wilson mentions it a few times, but it's it's just not uh, it's just not uh, discussed that much, and. So the next project. So anyway, Robert Howell and I wrote, wrote a paper um, on this, and uh, uh, it's uh, forthcoming. So is, and and uh, I've I've got uh, some other papers I'm working on on this, but we we are um, going to write a book on called uh, centrally to be called. Um, the philosophical significance of monism, focusing a lot on, on, on physicalism, but just in general, the, the importance of monism in philosophy of mind, reasons for it, reasons against it, uh, why uh, it's, it's uh, important to physicalism, and, and in general, uh, just sort of to bring in, to, to, to emphasize the, this particular metaphysical idea um, uh, and, and it's significant. So that's my next big project. We're, we're planning to, to, to write write a book on this and we're going to try to write it this fall.
0: Great. Well, that sounds super interesting and I look forward to, to seeing it once, once that's done and, and available.
1: Thank Um, you. Thank you.
0: But in the meantime, uh, we must, uh, we must say goodbye. So I wanted to thank you again for, um, for taking the time to speak with new books in philosophy about your new book.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the, all the very thoughtful comments. It's very clear to me. You under, I feel understood. <laughs> <laughs> I try, we try.
0: Okay. Well, thanks again. Bye-bye. Yes, bye-bye. You've been listening to an interview with Torin Alter, professor of philosophy at the university of Alabama. We've been talking about his new book, The Matter of Consciousness, which is just out from Oxford University Press. I'm Carrie Figdor. This is New Books in Philosophy. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and thank you for listening.